four central banks in Europe in the last 24 hours, and one of them has managed to sneak in a rate hike before Christmas. And the others were far from mirroring the dovishness of the Fed yesterday, and more to come today as well, with a heap of data from China and December's flash PMIs for Europe, including uh, the UK and the United States. So you can't take your eye off the ball yet. It's Friday, the 15th of December, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar is quite a bit lower today, down 0.8% on the DXY. In part, no doubt, because we've seen a 1.1% rise in the euro. The pound is up 1.2% and 0.6% rise in the Aussie dollar, which is now around 67 US cents this morning. And the US dollar down 0.8% against the Japanese yen. US 10-year treasury yields are down 11 basis points to 3.91%. We also saw falling yields of five basis points in the UK, six in Germany, 14 in Italy. Aussie 10 years, they were down 15 basis points yesterday to 4.13%, down a few more basis points on that on futures overnight. And US equities, trading volumes quite high overnight and frankly a bit all over the place. Not so long ago, the Nasdaq, the Dow and the S&P were all up half a percent. Then they dipped into the red. Uh, now the Dow is finishing at a record high. It's up 0.4%. The S&P is up 0.3%. And the Nasdaq finished 0.2% up. But we've got a 1.3% rise in the FTSE 100 at close and a 0.2% rise in the Eurostoxx 50. And oil, uh, it is up further today, a 3.2% rise in Brent and WTI. Brent a little under 77 a barrel now. It did get up to 77.35 this session. So we've had the ECB and we've had the Bank of England and maybe the the, the you know the value of the, the, the euro and the pound this morning says it all. Uh, but let's hear about it all from NAB's Gavin Trend in London. Let's look at the Bank of England, first of all, with a unanimous vote to keep the interest rate unchanged at five and a quarter percent. But as always, uh, the devil's in the details. So what came out in the minutes? Yeah, morning, Phil. Um, I think, well, both for the Bank of England and the ECB, both digging their heels in. We heard from Fed, Fed's power yesterday, you know, about at least at least playing to the, the, the direction of markets in terms of cuts, if not in timing and speed and that kind of thing. But but both uh, Andrew, Andrew Bailey and Christine Lagarde, you know, wanting to push back the other way. I have to say, we weren't surprised by the pushback. But I think um, at the margin, I mean, let's take the Bank of England to your point first. Yes, uh, we expected them to continue these warnings on, you know, any signs of persistent inflation, inflation, which is the concern they have about wage rises and that kind of thing, because they are still too high. But, you know, the vote outcome, 6-3, there's nine members of the MPC, 6-3 was exactly the same in, as, as in November. Um, you know, you perhaps you, you would have, you know, not unreasonably thought that the faster... Uh, the, the, the faster than expected slowdown in inflation that we've seen in the last few months in the UK, the weakness that's coming through in some of the economic numbers, like the GDP numbers that suggests we're going to perhaps go into a technical recession back end of the year, that that might have suggested and tilted, you know, some views on the MPC to, to a slightly less hawkish you know, outcome. The idea that three members, even at this point, still think we should be hiking rates even further is is quite is quite staggering. I think it suggests they're still adopting a very sort of you know uh, rear view mirror approach. Yeah. And yet you, go, and yet um, you, you know, can look um, at and you know we're going a little bit off sequence, but for a bank that has lifted rates because inflation has bounced back. And it was a surprise to everyone. Was Norges Bank today putting it up twenty five basis points? Yeah, that's right. I mean, the Norges Bank um, they did they did warn whether they would need to go again. Remember that their rates are a little bit lower than anywhere else. They were at four and a quarter percent. 
uh, and they yeah. were saying last time in in in, in October that like, if they needed to go again, it would depend on you know the path of inflation and the currency and that kind of stuff. And and clearly today they were saying that it was just unacceptably too high on inflation. That's why they've gone again. But it looks like that's it, you know, for now. I mean, you know, in, in the commentary. So, but, but it doesn't um, mean that the Bank of England could uh, suddenly turn around and do the same thing. No, I don't. I, these, I mean, I know people like to draw comparisons and parallels between central banks, but they are all independent. I don't think it gives they give a fig about what's going on elsewhere. I mean, it it pulls, you know, for something like the Fed, it pulls the market in one direction, of course, you know. But for something like the Norges Bank, it won't have any bearing on the Bank of England. They will do what they need to do. Um, yeah. and and the market is still pricing in, though, isn't it? Cuts, you know, maybe as soon as as early as May next year, and uh, and yet, yeah, you know. That both, as you say, in Europe and in the UK, both central banks holding firm, irrespective of what the markets think. Yeah, it's surprising, isn't it? We've get we get you know obviously UK yields <coughs> reacted this morning first thing to the significant drops in yields we saw post the Fed yesterday. So you know, had European and UK yields dropping a lot over twenty basis points in the sort of twos and tens, and because of the pushback. They've basically carved most of that back. In fact, guilt yields are taking it all back now, you know, up 20 basis points from mm. post the Bank of England. Um, and yet, to your point, yes, markets are still saying, no, you're going to be cutting rates aggressively through uh, 2024. And, and we, we, I mean, we agree, you know, the Bank of England, we think, is, is going to be cutting 75 basis points. It's not as, as aggressive as the market thinks. And we think the market's running a bit too early. You know, the market's got the first cut in sort of May. We don't see see that happening really until August, you know, at the August NPC when they have the new, they'll run the slide rule on inflation and those kinds of things. They need a bit of time to get where they need to get to. We're back on Table Mountain, basically, aren't we? I mean, we uh, you know, we're on that long, flat uh, spread until we get to the end of it all. Uh, but Christine Lagarde, the ECB, was saying, you know, they didn't even discuss the idea of interest rate cuts in the meeting. Yeah, I mean, we knew at this meeting, unlike the Bank of England, there was a press conference. There is every, every meeting. And of course, this was one of those quarterly meetings where you got new staff forecasts for inflation and growth. And we, we expected they would be lower on both accounts than they were. But the inflation forecasts really were incrementally. They, 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 they were just tiny adjustments. And still, it shows that from the ECB's point of view, they, they don't really see inflation getting back to target until late 25, early 26. On ours and others that look at the trajectory of inflation, we've got inflation, yes, ticking up a little bit in the next couple of months because base effects go into reverse. But then from February next year, we're down well below 3% into sort of a, a high ones, high twos. And we think at, the, at, you know, at that point from spring next year, that's what gives the ECB perhaps the courage to you know shift direction. What the ECB is worried about and why... Uh, they're a bit antsy about the way the market's gone at this, you know, in the way it has, is they need to see some moderate, they need to see what wages are doing next spring, the whole, you know, unionisation of wages and all the bargaining, they won't get a line of sight on that until March, April next year. And so, you know, if they have the luxury of waiting that long, that's what they want to see. Our view is, is they'll probably move a little bit earlier that in terms of tilting, you know, their focus, and then we'll get the first cut, we think, in April next year, uh, which will, uh, and that will be followed by three others, so 100 basis points throughout 2024 to have a deposit rate at 3% at the end of at the end of next year. That's not as, as aggressive as the market uh, sees it. You know, we had 150 basis points priced at one point. It's still, yes. it's still n nearly that. I mean, it's come off. It certainly has adjusted today, but it's still, you know, 
it's, it's still north of 100. And again, early. I mean, coming here as soon as March. Yes, exactly. And again, you know, for, for us, that seems a little bit early. But, uh, we, you know, we, we, we know mm. we know that the ECB is, is an institution that basically is data dependent. And when, the you know, it's trenchant in its belief in the data until the data, you know, turns quite quickly and, and then it'll turn. Markets sense that data is already turning. You know, in the we think about inflation in the eurozone, 5.3% two months ago. Now we're at 2.4%. And the ECB needs to sort of play catch up a little bit, I think, on yeah. that. Now, in the interest of completeness, there's only one bank we haven't mentioned which is the Swiss National Bank, but not much to say, really. I mean, they were neutral, as the Swiss do. Uh, you know, they, they they didn't move at all. Is there anything else to add on that, or should we move no, on? No, I mean, like, we shouldn't be surprised. Inflation is just, you know, pretty benign there. It's, you know, the 2% yeah. target is down at 1.6%. Um, and so that's why they've had the luxury of uh, not raising rates much more than 1.75%, you know, 175 basis points. So I think they, they, they're reasonably happy with their lot. And, and growth and growth in the housing market is is weakening, and so they can afford to do that. Right. So the US dollar not only lower because of the ECB and the the Bank of England, but also obviously because of that very dovish outlook from the FOMC yesterday that you know, you, you've talked about. Uh, yet, yeah, but hot on the heels of that, you know, signs of resilience in the US. So retail sales, which were expected to come in softer in November, actually rose 0.3 percent for the month, and then the initial jobless claims well down last week to 202,000 new claims against 221,000 the week before even though it's you know been a bit all over the place uh, but i mean there is a there is a clear downward trend actually if you look at it since june i mean is it, the, these numbers are hardly surprising because the trend in those jobless claims has been going down it, 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 it's it's you know it's always surprising isn't it you get such a big move like we did yesterday in us rates on the back of the of the of the of the steer from the fed if you like um and then into the mix a lowball weekly us claims and higher retail sales and yet the market really has made its mind up we we, we didn't really see you know yield haven't fallen any further. Uh, they've jogged around a little bit, but they're not really looking at that kind of stuff. You know, you, you'd need a lot that the die is set and it's going to take an awful lot for markets to turn that around, I think, at the moment. And I think, I mean, you were mentioning the dollar there. I mean, for us, you know, you just compare and contrast ECB President Christine Lagarde. You know, we did not discuss rates. We should absolutely not let our guard down with Fed Chair Jay Powell's remarks yesterday that we're aware of the risks that we would hang on too long and that cutting rates has now come into view. You know, the two are polar opposites, right, in their approaches. And that's 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 where markets are. That's what's driving. Despite the extent of pricing of rate cuts in these in these various jurisdictions, there is a crossover here in terms of <laughs> we think, you know, the, the, the Fed is is you know, opening the floodgates to allow the markets to, to go where they're going, where you've got this pushback for a period of two or three months, I suggest, from, from the Bank of England and the ECB, trying to resist the irresistible, you know. Um, and, and that plays, that can play to the foreign exchange market. But of course, the foreign exchange market is looking at a European, a UK economy, a Chinese economy that have been bumping along gradually improving but it's incremental you know it's still stagflationary in 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 the uk and europe but it's it's it looks like with the pmis it's getting a little bit better but in the us it's all the other way the worst is yet to come whether it's a soft landing and to your point those retail sales suggest yeah maybe they can achieve a soft landing but we just don't know we're Mm. on that roller coaster we're tipping over the edge and we just don't know 
what's below. Well, let's that, talk about somewhere. Yeah, you know, let's talk discovery about discovery for 2024. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's going to be an interesting year, isn't it? Because let's look at somewhere where you know interest rates possibly haven't finished rising, and that's Australia. I mean, you know, will the RBA continue to lift rates next year? I'm not sure. Yesterday's employment numbers do much to change that possibility. Possibility because although we saw the unemployment rate tick up to 3.9 percent. Uh, there was also a big increase in the number of people working because we saw a big increase in the participation rate, which I guess is a you know a good result, isn't it? More people chasing jobs, so the labour market was a little easier. That's going to help control wage inflation, but we've also got more people working, which is obviously very good for them and also you know good for the economy as well. So perhaps it's a bit of a Goldilocks number yesterday. Yeah, I mean perhaps I mean we in the consensus expected a lower job gain, uh, not least because we thought there'd be some payback from the uh, the referendum boost that we got in October. In the event October was revised down a bit to forty three thousand jobs and fifty five thousand, and that lifts the trend employment growth to thirty six thousand, enough to keep pace with the very strong population growth that's that Australia is seeing. But despite this move, to your point, the unemployment rate rose to 3.9 from an upwardly revised 3.8. The higher jobless, um, you know, rate yet lower, sorry, the higher jobless uh, yet uh, strong employment growth circle, I think, is squared by, to your point, again, the uh, the higher participation rate to a new record of 67.2% mm. from 67. I think I would agree. I don't think there's a lot here for the RBA. If you think about Last week's uh, November uh, statement of monetary policy, uh, they have a 3.8% unemployment rate for Q4. You know, we're a tenth above. We're gonna we're gonna swing around a little bit. I don't think there's an awful lot for them today. And for them, it's it's about. I think that uh, January, late January Q4 CPI report, that's the thing that's going to be, be driving them. And particularly, you know, the path of services inflation, that's, that's, what, that's what they're watching for. Right. And uh, New Zealand GDP yesterday, big fall. Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, Q3 GDP um, down 0.3% Q on Q. The market was looking for a rise of 0.2. And then Q2 recall was very strong. Um, up 0.9. That was revised to, to, to more or less half of that at up 0.5. So that takes the annual growth rate uh, down to, to, to minus 0.6 from uh, from a 1.5% rise. I mean, it's a bit of a change around. Excluding COVID, that's the worst performance since 2009. I was reading a, a note from my BNZ colleagues who, who entitled it GDP crumbles and basically saying that the data may well Actually, underestimate the pressure being imposed on uh, on average on the average New Zealander. The population, um, uh, you know, has is, 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 is expanded a whopping two point nine percent in the year to September. The current population growth is the highest since nineteen forty seven. So we're breaking a few records here. Strip that out, and on a per capita basis, the economic activity actually contracted three point one percent. I mean, that's as bad as things got back in the sort of two thousand seven eight GFC. So. So, so we're all now eager to see, um, you know, what the RBNZ makes of all this, having moved, if you remember, to a hawkish stance following the surprisingly strong yeah. GDP growth in Q2, which has now been revised and followed with a really, you know, a much weaker number. Of course, you know, they are focused on uh, inflation, not growth. Um, and that's the new mandate, of course. There's no mandate for employment, that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I guess to that point, you know, swing it back to FX. You've got the dollar falling, you've got the Kiwi rising. That's going to help out. There's a lot here for the RBNZ to think about, a lot of contributing parts. And uh, that's going to be interesting to watch over the coming uh, weeks. 
Right. Now, lots of data today as well. It doesn't finish, does it? No, we're certainly not breaking up for Christmas just yet. So we get, well, first of all, loads of China data today, including fixed asset investment, industrial production, retail sales, the unemployment rate, the house price index, uh, the one-year MLF from the PBOC. Uh, so a bit of a China snapshot, in other words, today. Yeah, I mean, these the monthly activity numbers are always important. They can always, you know, move the dial a little bit. I suspect, you know, if it's strong, the, if it's stronger than expected, the markets will say, hey, yeah, you know, the, the sort of incremental policy changes that we're seeing are working. And if they're not, and if they disappoint on the downside, the markets will simply say, well, you need to do more. And we're still looking for more, you know, from the Politburo and others. And, uh, you know, um, it'll just ramp up expectations that they need to do more. And there is an expectation that they are doing more. So it's almost, it's almost a win-win, really. But, um, you know, we'll yeah. See. Yeah. All right. And then all the flash PMIs as well, manufacturing and services for France, Germany, the euro area, the UK and the US. So throw all of that into the melting pot and see what comes out. Yeah, I mean, it's always the case. The market just kind of glosses over the US numbers here because they're by S&P. They'd much rather see the ISM numbers, which have about a 10, a 10, a 10, a 10 times larger sample size. It's Europe that gets the attention. And I think the one cautionary note I would say is these are early, really early releases for December. It's only half a month's uh, numbers. It's less than that, actually. Mm. So you're going to have to question the sort of, you know, uh, what's within these numbers? If we get any surprises, it's like, well, is, will that will that be borne out throughout the whole month? The yeah. point, though, is the direction of travel has been a steady improvement to the point where, in the service sector at least, Germany and Italy were close back on breaking back above fifty in the last reading in November. So, you know, we, again, it plays to that point that things are pretty bad in Europe, but they're actually getting less bad right and and so we'd expect that trend to continue well we can't get into the christmas spirit just yet because we have another week to go and you are back on i think i'm not quite sure what day but i i'm certainly talking to you again before christmas so good to have you on it today gavin and i won't wish you a merry christmas because i'll save that till next week have a good weekend instead Look forward to it. thanks oh, cheers thanks bye and later on today for your edification and delight on the weekend edition deloitte's rhiannon yetsenga joins me to talk about generative ai I mean, it's a productivity enhancing tool. And fundamentally, the purpose of these tools is to enable workers to focus on higher value adding activity. Now, unlike many productivity tools, rather than being driven by the business, this one is being driven by employees, at least initially. And that could be creating problems if you're not across it. There are questions of liability and accuracy. But the upside, obviously, is productivity gains. So listen in to that discussion available from this afternoon at the same place where you got this podcast and back on Monday with another full week of the morning call as well. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Uh, See you soon. Have a great weekend.